Hello everybody and welcome to Podden Ain't Easy. Pretty sure you heard talk guys, it's after the new year, but this is officially the first episode we are recording in the new year. We have two hosts here, both fully updated on their COVID booster shots and I'm sure the, the Wi-Fi for Bill Gates or whatever the conspiracy theory is now is just clear as anything nowadays. But we're here to delve back into the world of live action Star Wars with the book of Boba Fett. We're going to look at both episodes of the book of Boba Fett. A lot to really delve into here. And I'm joined by a man who I'm sure if we were held captive by Tuscan Raiders would definitely not grasp me as we were trying to escape. It is Carl Pierce. <laughs> I definitely wasn't. No, you're quite right. <laughs> and yet, not only am I now fully vaccinated and boosted, unlike some certain tennis players, um, <laughs> I am also a year older, Scott, already. Ah, you're just kicking off 2022 with a bang, aren't you? Oh, yes. Yes, I am. <laughs> getting deeper into my 40s now, Scott. It, it's getting quite scary. you got to be careful now with these way you pronounce his names, because, you know, the further into 40s he gets, then the more worrying it is when he says many, many different times he pronounces a deal with Tammy's name. It's just going just gonna <laughs> to get worse from here on out. It really is. <laughs> It's a well-known fact, the older you get, the more racist you get. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's not at the point where we can excuse these age, though, unfortunately, though. Give it, give it some time. Yeah, no, I also find out I'm I'm still too um, young to get away with pinching girls' bottoms as well. I could have told you that, but okay. <laughs> well, that's obviously a joke. I don't go around pinching girls' <laughs> bottoms. <laughs> No, but he does think about it. But, <laughs> Don't we all? Okay, <laughs> I was going to say, one episode into the new year, we've already been cancelled. But <laughs> I was going to ask if you'd done anything special for your birthday, but you did the you made the strange decision of booking your, your booster appointment on your birthday for some reason. Well, I did. Well, where I live, um, the closest place... The vaccinating was um, the only only open on days I am and times I'm stuck at work, and um, yeah, the only Friday that was available was a Friday I booked off because it's my birthday, so I just had to go with that. So I wanted to get it because I work in retail and mixed with a lot of different people. I just wanted to get it uh, done as quickly as I possibly could. Really, mm. that's fair enough. It's a good enough fair. Enough reason. Uh, I I picked mines because I'd gotten a letter through like a while ago, and then I got like a text message thing basically doing like a reminder to pick your COVID booster like appointment. And then I thought it's gonna be one of those things that I say I'm gonna do, and I end up wait waiting ages to do. So I just picked it as soon as like when's the when's the best possible time? Well, I finished on a Friday for the week, and uh, I don't do much on a Friday afternoon anyway, so I'll pick it for Friday afternoon. Uh, and I got done, yeah, like, I didn't, I'm luckily, I didn't feel, well, much of anything, I had a bit of a sore arm, but unlike my first dose, which really knocked me for a loop, I didn't have the case where, like, I could even lift my arm when I got that from, uh, without it being, like, very painful, whereas it was just mildly sore for a couple of days, like, I got it Friday afternoon, felt the, felt it properly getting sore Friday evening, by the time I woke up Sunday morning, it was gone. 
Yeah, I wasn't too bad at all. Some, uh, my my abs started to hurt towards um, late evening on Friday, but um, Saturday I was fine. Sunday I was fine. So, yeah. And, and from what I heard, I hear Scott. If you don't get your boost, the Nicola Sturgeon will sign people around to drag you out your house <laughs> and <laughs> force you to get it anyway. <laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny those rumours. <laughs> <laughs> Although Stuart Cross the road did mysteriously disappear, kicking and screaming, like, I'm not going to get it, I'm not going to get it. I just thought he was drunk again. Let's just say, if Novak was Scottish, he would have had about six boosters by now, whether he wanted them or not. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, other than, you know, a bit, bit of extra protection from, uh, from COVID, did you get anything special for your birthday? Um, did I get anything special for my birthday? Not really, just more booze and chocolate to add to what I got <laughs> for Christmas. So I'm going to be about £50 heavier by the end of January. <laughs> and uh, yeah, a bit more money. So at least I'm quite flush um, around this time of year. Well, fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, you can't really complain about all that. Uh, like... The worst things to really get, you know, you, it's worrying because you get as you get older, you know, people just start giving you clothes more often, or, or you're not at an age yet where some people think socks is an appropriate gift. <laughs> yeah, yeah, at least I'm not getting socks and Lynx Africa, uh, you know, it's stuff I can do something with, like uh, Stella Artois and uh, Heroes, so you know, <laughs> yeah, so. I wish, really wish somebody, when they got you beer, they, they would have got you, like, some Corona or everything. Like, no, I can't drink that. I've just had my booster. <laughs> I think next year, I'll need, next year, I think I'll need a treadmill if the chocolate and drink keep coming. <laughs> ah, fuck it. It's January. Fuck all happens in January. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I mean, you're quite flushed uh, with the cast now. But, you know, what you can't really do at the moment, even though... We all know Carl doesn't get the opportunity to go to cinemas often. If he did go, he would unfortunately not be able to see Morbius when he wanted to, as it's been bloody moved from January to April. And uh, I talked to you about this before we recorded. You weren't really sure why. And the best reason I can find is mainly because, oh, it's because Spider-Man No Way, uh, no Way Home is still doing very well box office-wise, and they don't want it to get to get lost or something like that. So I don't know why they didn't have any spots between now and April to get to watch it, but you know, there's that. So yeah, like I don't think uh, it was really gonna we were gonna like or hate us any more or less, depending on how No Way Home did. To be quite honest with you, and I think I think there's only like some hardcore like comic fans that still even know it's coming out the amount of times it's been pushed back. Yeah, I must admit I saw a. The trailer for it a while back, which didn't really impress me, and I'd forgotten about it as well until I, I saw on Twitter or somewhere the other day that it had been uh, pushed back again. Um, whether that's to do with Omicron or some fan theories on Twitter, is that they're going to f- film a Andrew Garfield Spider-Man cameo or something? But uh, I don't know. No, I doubt that'd be a thing. I mean. Even if it is or isn't a thing, I'm sure we can ask him for another three months and he can continue to lie or not lie <laughs> whether or not it's happening. Bless him. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> you know, I've heard really he's up for award consideration and everything for his from uh, some film he's he's doing, uh, which is about the the guy who wrote the musical Rent. And but pretty much every clip from any interview he did promoting that film, it's him trying to tell people I'm not in Spider Man. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> uh, but uh, leave us in a weird position with comic movies. You know, we're so used to them nowadays. How frequently they come out, like every couple of months. But we have, we don't have a superhero movie until March fourth next year, which is uh, or this year. I keep forgetting it's still twenty twenty two. We don't have a film comic wise this year until March fourth when the Batman comes out. So the first two months of the year, there's nothing comic wise in cinemas. It just feels strange to me. Very odd. Might as well, might as well just not bother going, Scott, if that's the case. Well, I'm a bit annoyed. Like I was more annoyed when uh, Morbius got delayed, not because I really want to see it, but because for my, for my Christmas, I got a £30 voucher for a local cinema called View in the city centre of Glasgow, uh, which is very really nice for cleaning seats, and the tickets are only like seven quid each, which is quite nice. So I wanted a chance to use it. The first opportunity I was probably going to get to use it was to see Morbius. I mean, I've got plenty of time to use it. But then I said, oh, it's been pushed back. And really, in cinemas right now, there's nothing I really want to go see other than that. Like, I know there's a new Kingsman film and there's that Scream uh, film. That's it. But honestly, neither of those films are ones I want to rush out for. I could easily wait till they're on Sky or Netflix or whatever streaming platform. But fear not, Scott, because your favourite film of all time, Eternals, is on Disney Plus from tomorrow. So you can just rewatch that a hundred times. No, no, no. But I think you you know, we we rarely set homework on this podcast. But Carl, I hope you try and watch it over the next weekend where I want your full detailed analysis on that film. (laughs) (laughs) Break down. Your thoughts on each and every eternal, <laughs> their pros and cons. <laughs> and I don't want it just to be 500 words on just how much you love Stella Hayek. I want a bit more effort than that. Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> I know you. I just did a couple of words on how much I love Stella Hayek, to be honest, mate. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Uh, I'm just going to move straight on from that. <laughs> yeah, Eternals is out, coming out on Disney Plus soon, which is great, I guess. Which means hopefully sometime early February should be when Spider-Man No Way Home is on uh, Disney Plus, which is great. I was like, people can rewatch it as much as they like or watch it for the first time in some people's games. Do you think that will be on Disney Plus? Because I don't think the other two are, are they? As, as far as I've looked, anyway. Bizarrely. I, mean, I don't know. Like, I'd, I don't know really what's going on. I know there was a weird situation where they were adding all the Spider-Man films on Netflix, like all the Maguire, Garfield and Holland mm. ones like on Netflix before the uh, this one. Although weirdly, even though Alfred Lee was prominent in the trailers for No Way Home, the one Spider-Man film that didn't go up on Netflix was Spider-Man 2. <laughs> and a lot of people could say that as their favourite one for and yeah, it's not on there. It but, probably yeah. is one of the better ones, actually, Spider-Man 2. Yeah. But, so yeah, we got 
You've got the Eternals to look forward to, Kyle, to tide you over before we get actual new comic book films. And uh, if you include the upcoming DC League of Super Pets starring The Rock and Kevin Hart, which I do, we have 10 comic book movies coming out in 2022. There we go then. So you know, once they start coming, they'll be coming thick and fast, won't they? If the, if, you know, if we've got a couple of months of item already, Christ. Yeah. So we go. I don't know when that League of Super Pets coming out, but we've got that Morbius, Batman, Doctor Strange two, uh, the Flash, Black Adam, Aquaman two. Even though we didn't ask for it, Thor four, Thor Love and Thunder is coming out in July, which I I convinced myself that was coming out in a. Uh, in 2023 somehow. Uh, Black Panther 2, but I think that's going to end up getting pushed back because there's been all sorts of production issues I've heard about that. And the final one, and I've forgotten what it was. <laughs> but I'm sure somebody will remind me on Twitter or whatever. Aquaman 2, who commissioned that? Probably Nathan and fucking Jimmy after that DC tournament. Just, <laughs> Willem Dafoe, under the sea, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I let it get to me or anything. Oh, that's what, that's what it was. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse Part 1, that's what it was. Ah, that was it, yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we got a lot to look forward to because obviously not long after you know, Boba Fett eventually wraps up, we're, we're probably going to be showing us clips and actual trailers of uh, Obi-Wan, you'd hope. Yeah, yeah. I, what do you think? Do people might... It seems to do, like... Um, like Marvel, maybe in Star Wars, sort of after each other, don't they? Try and break things up a bit. So I think we might get She-Hulk next. Uh, I'm not quite sure. I mean, I assumed we might get Echo next, but then they've not really given us that much detail on and. It is quite soon after Hawkeyes came out, but you would have think that's been you know, filmed quite a while ago, so they would have probably already filmed a lot of Echo. And I did see a, a, a report online that they brought in writers from the Netflix uh, Daredevil and Punisher series to work on, work on Echo. So I think they may confirm that uh, Matt Murdock comes in, but then does that also mean that we get a surprise John Berthold appearance as Punisher again? Maybe. I wasn't a huge fan of the Punisher series, to be honest. The second one was a bit better, but the uh, the, the first the first one I wasn't I thought was a bit boring, really. I mean, the issue was it was with like the character Billy the Butte who becomes a jigsaw because his face gets all like cut off and disfigured by the Punisher. He doesn't look that bad when he did the reveal in season two of how he looks like. He's got some noticeable lines and scars on his face. But he's not like grotesque as he's like Jigsaw is in the comments. Like, if anyone's ever seen Punisher Warzone, which is a very R rated uh, film that came in 2008 with uh, Ray Stevens, I think he was, that plays Punisher, uh, you see the look of Jigsaw in that, it's like frightening to look at. So, that compared to what the Netflix version, uh, I was very underwhelmed with how Jigsaw mm. looked. I don't think it helps that they, they cast too much of a good looking man as well, didn't they? Which probably doesn't help. Yeah, but so I don't know what's going to happen there. Uh, I've heard, heard some people rumouring like, like this is may come in the spring, maybe same uh, Obi Wan. So we'll talk because uh, Wednesday seems to be the main day for these Marvel and uh, 
Marvel and Star Wars shows that maybe because May the 4th is a Wednesday this year. And that is, of course, International Star Wars Day. We could bring out episode one oh, of... Oh, that would work, wouldn't it? Yeah. Because they did that with the Bad Batch, you know, it wasn't a Wednesday, I can't remember what day it was, May 4th last year. But they brought it out, the first episode of that out on, on May the 4th, and then started showing the second episode quite quickly afterwards. They moved it to like Friday, I think it was, because that was going to be the day each episode came out. But they wanted the first episode out to capitalise on uh, to capitalise on May the 4th and the Star Wars Day and everything. That makes sense. Don't do that. I don't want to wait too much longer than May for uh, for Obi Wan, if I'm honest. Yeah, I need it so, now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. We'll probably get Ahsoka this year as well. I should imagine. Should imagine, yeah. I mean, there's a uh, talk about Andor coming out this year. I honestly couldn't give a fuck. To be honest <laughs> with you, he didn't make that much of an impact on in me and. Rogue One, and even though it's a set before, like I've seen Rogue One, I know what happens to him. Yeah, I'm I'm not too convinced on that one either, if I'm honest. But you never know. Yeah, I. So yeah, let's say my expectations are very low with that one. But it's interesting that these the current Star Wars series that we're talking about, and the next one after us is featuring characters that people have wanted to see come back for ages, and now they're finally getting them. Yeah, and then there's Andor. And then there's Andor. But before we get to Boba Fett, uh, something you wanted to briefly mention, because we mentioned that a lot of the uh, superhero offers are getting the first one of the years now, officially going to be Batman. And uh, there's this weird image of Paul Dano's uh, Riddler, this kind of homemade costume that he's seemingly got. And, you know, it's got the dark, it's got the question mark on it, which I'm you know, not against. The one thing I had to take away is the mask that they've given him here. I'm not sure I feel because he's got the glasses around it and everything, which I think is quite funny. It's a nice touch, but I just I can't get over the fact it looks like a green gimp mask. I can't get over that. I've seen it and I can't unsee it. <laughs> it is it is a bit strange. It's like a basically just like a a green ski mask and a a green parka coat with a question mark on it. It does it does seem a bit strange and it's quite diversive from uh, the social media responses I've seen, but uh, I have a feeling it'll work for the the way they want to portray the character in in this film. Uh, it's definitely a more sort of gritty, down-to-earth Batman, and Reza seems to be a bit more sort of kind of terroristy by the looks of things, so you know, mm-hmm. definitely a, a, a a pea green skin tight suit with question marks on it. I don't think it would work. Maybe the sort of the one you see in the cartoon where he's got like a like a bowler hat and um, a green sort of suit jacket, perhaps might have may have worked. But I don't know. We'll you know. I prefer to reserve judgment to see the film nowadays because you know, I was adamant Heath Ledger would be crap as a Joker, and that did not age well. <laughs> no, it did not. Uh, but yeah, here's you like the Jim Carrey esque Riddler outfit definitely wouldn't have worked. You could have maybe gotten away with, like you said, the original like green suit jacket, green trousers, and like the bowler hat and everything. Like, uh, he's not, also not got the, the cane that Riddler usually has either. But mostly uh, we can do it without that. I think if you're having this great kind of almost terrorist guest version of the Riddler, then you can kind of see why he would have this. But 
again, the mask has just put me off because, <laughs> like, I get like, we've seen clips of these, these video messages then where he's wearing the mask, but you know, in the past, the Riddler's had this like weird thin mask where it doesn't seem like the Riddler really cares about concealing his identity because more often than not, if you don't know who he is, you'll really be a clue in his riddle that usually tells you who he is anyway. Like, it actually tells you that he's Edward Nigma, so I don't know why the Riddler needs a mask. Like, not basically not one like this. Hmm. It's, it's an interesting choice. Perhaps so far from what I've seen of this Batman, though, it's the only thing uh, I've seen that you can put a bit of a, like a, a downside on it so far. So, you know, mm-hmm. if that's the worst thing they do in that film, it, that's, we're still on for a winner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I'm still giving uh, like the benefit of the doubt and everything. It's everything else out there about it. It looks like really good. Uh, I just hope that uh, Robert Pattinson looks a bit better in some of these Bruce Wayne scenes than like one or two of the scenes that we have seen, where he just looks like you know Robert Pattinson but midi and in a suit. So you know, other than <laughs> that, there's a minor nitpicks I have about the Batman. But yeah, we'll see. We'll wait for the film, and we will see that there's always a chance it could end up being absolute bollocks. But uh, who knows? Yeah, what a what a crushing day that would be. But we'll be here to talk all about it. I'm sure when it does happen. Oh, speaking of PC, I did actually, I I didn't actually get a chance to watch the Suicide Squad when it came out, the James Gunn one. Uh, but I watched it at New Year with the family and everything. A couple of them didn't seem to like it. I really enjoyed. I don't know. If I'm, I don't imagine you've seen it yet, but I, it's on like Sky Cinema here in the UK, which you can watch, and I think it's on that HBO Max in America. And I quite liked. I mean, he does do similar things in tone with like John, and that he knows that these are characters that are inherently silly, so let's be silly. And John Cena is obviously the best character in it. But I really enjoy. I think there's a lot to enjoy in that film. So if you haven't seen it yet, I'd recommend it. You know, I have seen it, and uh, yeah, I've really enjoyed it, and it's got me looking forward to uh, John Cena's standalone Peacemaker film. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was a massive star, purple starfish trudging around <laughs> an island. What more do you want? <laughs> I just love, I, I just love the fact um, Nathan Fillion's superhero characters. His thing is. He detaches his arms. It's <laughs> just like, but that might be the funniest moment of the film for me because it's just so hilarious, especially when he's arriving on the floor in agony when they're attacking his detached arms. <laughs> I think you call him the detached kid, but like before that, he's just given the initial like TDK, and people are like, what, what's, "What's your name? What does it mean? Like, what's your name? That is my name. Your name is just letters. Well, technically, all names are letters." <laughs> <laughs> Which you can't argue with that logic, and then you've got the, the weird weasel character. I think was played in motion capture by Sean Gunn, uh, James Gunn's brother. I think also provides the movements for uh, Rocket and the Guardians films. But, like, and they're all like, "What is he? Is he a dog? Like, what, what kind of dog do you think he is? Like, look at him." <laughs> yeah, I'm right. Uh, I'm right at the end. He, he was alive all along. Yeah, because he jumps through the plane and immediately just didn't look like he died. Like. Did anyone check if this weasel could swim? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, like also one of my favorite scenes where they go, it looks like they've just killed this camp full of bad guys, and it turns out they're all freedom fighters or whatever. 
until they find Rick Flag. <laughs> to this one, like, yeah. Oh, she leads to freedom fighters. Oh, why did my people not alert me? Well, they're uh, <laughs> they're killed in this like dick measuring contest between Peacemaker and Bloodsport because they keep looking at each other as they keep finding new ways to to shoot people. And mean all the while you've got King Shark just eating people. <laughs> yeah, he tries to eat that uh, rat catcher girl, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't eat your friend, would you? And she's sleeping the whole time, and they're like, how deep do you sleep that you didn't notice? <laughs> so, <laughs> this is turning into a Suicide Squad pun. <laughs> yeah, I was expecting that, you know, but also I didn't get a chance to talk about it when it came out, so I thought I'd mention that. I don't know, I look forward to being here. I'm sure there'll be like, channels over here on Sky that we can watch uh, you know, sometime after Peacemakers are in America, or if you don't have... If you can't wait over in the UK, I'm sure there are very legal means that you can definitely watch it through. I mean, I would, I would not, I would not condone watching it through any illegal pirated means. No, no, not at all. Yeah, rogue opinions. We do not condone such behaviour. Yes, yes, not us. We ace guys, podcast personalities. Anyway. <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> we uh, we wanted to go off. We've got two episodes to cover. Uh, chapter one, Stranger in a Strange Land, and in chapter two, The Tribes of Tatooine. It's very similar in terms of like the way the titles are set up, similar to The Mandalorian. But uh, we're, we're doing away with uh, what we used to do. We just give like one of us gives like the episode recap, and uh, before we give like more thoughts, we're just going to delve into like what we think of it and like the bits we want to focus on, kind of just out the gate, because I think. Uh, we and Carl's guys, but I think we assume that if you're watching this with us, we assume that you've already seen it, and I hope you've already seen Suicide Squad. Otherwise, I'm sorry for the previous five minutes. Um, if you haven't watched the, and if you haven't already watched the book above a fat, then tough shite. And what <laughs> are you doing listening to this? I know. <laughs> I think they thought they'd gone away with it because we hadn't talked about it up till now, so they got through the first twenty or so minutes. Let's <laughs> not talk about it, but no. If you haven't watched it, you, know, you can pause it now, go watch it, then come back and then listen to this. Exactly. Right, you're back. Uh, I don't, I don't. All right, finally he's back. Fucking took his time, so he did. Right, come on, everybody, let's get back into it. Two episodes to talk about. <laughs> but before we get into the episodes, well, this I feel like we were waiting ages for this to come out, even though we weren't, because I know all fans have went more Boba Fett for a lot, even since he was killed off in, uh, in Return of the Jedi. But uh, we got him back in Mandalorian Season 2. He was very good in that. We discussed that when we reviewed Mandalorian Season 2. But then at the end, we, they announced Book of Boba Fett coming. It was only a year like onwards that we had to wait. But because of COVID last year, I felt like we've been waiting like several million years for this series to come. Yeah, it does feel like a, a long while. I think it feels longer as well when you're really like anticipating something as well. Um, the more you look forward to something, uh, the longer it feels you've got to wait. Um, but no, it finally landed, uh, was it the 29th of December? Yeah. And, yeah. and yeah, it sort of the first episode, especially sort of expectations we finally got the answer you know the the answer we've all been waiting for how did he escape the flipping sala is it a sala am i getting that right yeah yes 
good for you. Gold star. <laughs> yeah, I because uh, you know he didn't necessarily die as he went in. Like I think it's assumed, it, but like the description of the uh, of the Sarlacc is that you're slowly digested over a thousand years, so you're kind of eaten alive and slowly die over a long, long period of of time. So obviously he was it wasn't in there for very long, but he was alive the whole the whole time he was in there, and we do see how he. How we survived the Sarlacc, but I think we they give you that like right out the gate of the of the first episode, and because uh, like he's in a back to tank every so often, that's where you get these flashbacks of what he's been up to in between Return of the Jedi and Mando, which I think is a good vehicle to kind of uh, kind of show you what he was doing. And I think there's been a lot of stuff in the expanded universe that shows how he survived, and they've kind of just, like get faithful to that because seems. Like across both of these episodes, there have been things that have been talked about in both its stories and comics and books that were originally decanonized by Lucasfilm, but now they've been basically picking and choosing what bits to bring back in for the series. But <laughs> the funniest thing about the way he escapes is uh, somebody put a clip from like 2014 of Patton Oswald in a, an episode of Parks and Rec where he holds up a council meeting by filibuster and by basically reading out a fan fiction for episode seven of Star Wars, and he his opening bit is the opening scene of 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 uh, Boba Fett's hand crawling out the Sarlacc pit. And if you line up what he's how he describes it in Parks and Rec with the opening footage of uh, Boba Fett, it actually lines up. So everybody's calling Patton Oswald like a fortune teller or some shit. <laughs> That's pretty cool, actually. <laughs> yeah, clearly John Favreau was a big fan of Parks and Rec. <laughs> I can't think of anything better, so we'll just go with that idea. (laughs) (laughs) By God, he's a genius. I must admit, I won't lie, I did find it a little bit confusing at the beginning because I didn't realise he's, you know, in that, I suppose that's the idea, in that tank. I wondered what was going on because he's there with that breathing apparatus and I was thinking, oh, is he... Has he he been held hostage or, or, or something? Or is he injured... But, um, yeah, it's some sort of recuperative thing, isn't it? He sleeps then. But, yeah, the stars a little bit. So what's going on there? But, yeah, it was cool to see how he sort of blasts his way out from the Sarlacc. I think he, he uses his flamethrower, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. He also uses, like, oxygen from a stormtrooper that's stuck mm. in there. And uh, as it's been pointed out, no stormtroopers went in during the scene and... Uh, Return of the Jedi, which means that Stormtrooper somehow must have been in there for a long time. So, you know, I wonder how long that poor bastard was probably in there for, because as they said, you slowly die over like a thousand years when you fall into the Sarlacc pit, but, you know, he seemed to be already dead, so uh, Boba just used his, like, breathing thing to help him get out as he crawled out, and quite obviously, it was very painful being in there, which is why he's got these injuries that uh, he needs to constantly go back to this back to tank for. Yeah, he sort of manages to sort of pull himself free, as we say. You know, this other hand come up in the sand, and before you know it, he's uh, robbed blind by uh, Jawas. Mm-hmm. That'd be just my sort of fucking luck, that one. Escape a near-death <laughs> predicament, and then get beat up and robbed by some other fucker. Yeah. <laughs> uh. I know, and I did like that nice touch because that explains how the Jawas got the armor that then gets sold to Cobb Vans, which then goes to Mando, and then 
all goes around in a circle and eventually it gets back to Boba. But it shows how he, uh, how they got it. And also, usually he'd probably be easily able to kill those Jawas, but also he just crawled out of the Sarlacc, but he's near death, so he can't even fend off the Jawas, which then leads him to getting captured by a group of Tusken Raiders as well, which is where most of the flashbacks kind of center around. Yeah. Uh, did you notice it also looks like the original Sarlacc as well, not the sort of George Lucas rejigged version where it looks like a kind of uh, Venus flytrap kind of thing, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, because they show them coming at the sand over at the side and of the hole, but they don't show you the hole, so I think you'll have to assume that it's the original Sarlacc design and not the not the, re, the remaster, like, re-release version. Not that it really matters, but I just thought it was worth noting that that looked like the, the way they'd done with it anyway. Yeah. Also, we should mention before we see that clip when he's in the tank, he has a couple of brief flashbacks. We see clips of uh, Camino, just like the raining plan. I just thought, mm. ah, after Hunter promised we wouldn't go back to Camino in the Bad Batch, we got away from the from Camino for a while. And as soon as we go back into Star Wars, one of the first things we see is goddamn Camino. <laughs> Can't stop going back there. <laughs> no, no, we cannot. And then we also see, obviously, uh, Another bit of a clip of him holding his dad's helmet after he was uh, decapitated by Mace Windu, which I often thought quite upsetting that he's holding a helmet, which he's got to have his dad's head inside it. I know I've been told, oh no, eventually if you watch when his head fall before his head lands, there's a shadow of his dad's head falling out the helmet, and I'm thinking like that does not make it any better because <laughs> now he's holding a helmet with which which then has to be I mean that just off camera out of camera shot. But clearly, in his eye line, it's his dad's decapitated head lying on the floor somewhere. If anything, that's worse. <laughs> well, at least he's not, you know, holding a helmet of a dead head inside it. But it's going to need bleaching. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> but I'm just saying it's, it's just kind of a weird shit to think about with uh, this opening, <laughs> but. I want to talk about the uh, the dynamic between him and Fennec Shand. That's a big part of these. This episode's obviously he saved her in season one of Mando, and then we saw that she was kind of in service to him during season two of Mando. And we're kind of more like working as a team, but as this seems, seems to be going on, they seem to have more of a conflict, more of a back and forth, because uh, he has a way that he wants to do things now that he's taken over as the, the crime lord or the daimyo, as he's been referred to. And uh, she's basically trying to tell him to do things a certain way, which basically falls more in line with the Jabba, which he doesn't want to go with. Yeah, I mean, I suppose in her mind, she's trying to steer him in the right direction, because uh, as we kind of see throughout these first two episodes, um, not everybody is taking him seriously in his, his new position, because he's mm-hmm. unwilling to... You know, torture people and kill them at a drop of a hat, like your jab of the huts and others are. So, uh, I suppose you can't have your prime um, protagonist uh, killing left, right, and centre. Mm-hmm. So, I suppose that's how they get getting around it. But still, it, it does feel like he's he's a little bit soft for the role at the moment. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people kind of either see him as soft or they just see him like you're not really a criminal, you're not it requires being a, in some degree of a politician to get negotiate, you know, deals with people, but a lot of people still see him as just a bounty hunter. 
he has a meeting with the mayor in episode two and he goes, I'm not a bounty hunter. He goes, I've heard otherwise. Then mm. the mayor's obviously a reasonably powerful figure because um, uh, his representative sort of comes to this, um, uh, what do they call it? A, a bit where they sort of pay tribute to um, Boba Fett as a new crime laws and as people sort of giving him gifts and tributes mm-hmm. and uh, the representative from the mayor uh, wants a tribute for the mayor doesn't he he's, he's <laughs> doing it the way around so yeah it's um, yeah already someone's playing games trying to play games with him yeah he really says like oh I don't bring anything really, I just bring your good good message from the mayor and then he tries to get some from him and basically goes yeah, my tribute is letting you leave here and go back to the mayor with your life, basically. Like, just be like, I'm not giving you anything. Get the fuck out of my, of my palace. Uh, also, do like, there's a point where when usually when an alien or some sort of species in Star Wars speaks a language, obviously that we don't understand. That's usually subtitles, but they play it off as a joke with one creature who gives them a gift to doesn't they don't provide subtitles, and then you're like like, well, how do we men know what they're saying? And then it cuts to Fennec and Boba like. Did you catch a word of that? No. We need a protocol droid to translate some of this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to go back to Tales of C3, he was a protocol droid, and he was kind of, that's what he was primarily used for when he got captured by, by Jabba at the start of episode six, where he basically was used to, like, translate what Jabba was saying. Yeah, so, so they, they, they do have their uses, these protocol droids, clearly. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're in desperate need of one. And um, they they had those weird sorts of um, sort of like warthog aliens, didn't they? Come yeah. come to them, and um, they sort of he sort of promised if he if he doesn't kill them that they'll uh, pledge their lives to him like they did with uh, uh, Jabba and his predecessor. So um, they're well, sorry, his successor, I should have said. Um, so he's he's got those um, those two in line as well, which becomes quite important later on in the episode as well. Yeah, he got some sort of kind of like muscle to kind of bang him up as well as having Fennec Shand by his side because he got the droid to this kind of model of droid was used in episode six was like we've basically been used to torture other droids as Archer and Didi were being led to the palace, but uh, this droid was basically trying to say like, oh, you should kill these guards, they're traitors, you know. They'll send a message to others not to mess with the new crime lord, and that's where he first says he's saying about ruling with respect and not fear, like we heard in the trailers for this show. And uh, this droid, which is called 8D8, is voiced by Matt Berry, an uh, English actor known from uh, the IT crowd and uh, that show What We Do in the Shadow, which is kind of a slight mockumentary vampire show. It's on Disney Plus. If you haven't watched it, it's directed by Taika Waititi of like, the Thor films. Uh, which I'd recommend you checking that out. But so I liked hearing his voice, uh, and these two guards, these warhol-like pig things, are called the uh, Gamorian guards, or it's kind of what their species is called. Uh, and so, yeah, it was nice to see you know them get to actually show that they could be used to like Boba later on in the show. Yeah, hundred percent. And mm-hmm. um, they sort of decide to sort of go on their sort of little tour don't they and to meet people and they keep getting question uh did it realize because didn't see your letter mm-hmm. so yeah it must be obviously a thing that's expected that they're they're carried around on um one of those letter things king mabel style 
<laughs> and uh, and you know we do see that later on, like uh, when we see those like cousins of Jabba the Hutt return, uh, because they try to take a claim to what Jabba was uh, Jabba's business and everything, uh, and they're carried on a letter as well. And you know, I thought the guys who had to carry King Mabel had a bad time. The poor bastard <laughs> had to carry two grown huts around on Tatooine. It's just like you, know, I think, it's just the worst for. I think they'd probably be told like we could kill you, but we want to torture you a bit more. So you're gonna to have to carry around these huts around. Like, no, I'd rather die. <laughs> I mean, to be fair though, I mean, you can see why they'd want that. I mean, they're like big slug-like creatures, so mm-hmm. they they probably getting around is quite a slow and untenuous uh, process for for huts. So you know, it, it does make sense for them in in more ways than one. Well, like, there's always stories and pages of like ancient kind of leaders having carried around, you know, as they went past their subjects and everything. So I think that's you know, the image these people expect from like crime lords and everything, mm. as you said. But what was said, I can stand on my own two feet. I am, I will rule. With it. If you show me respect, I'll show you respect. But if you, do, you disrespect me, then obviously there'll be consequences. Uh, and then obviously he has the run-in with these assassins, which uh, at first. Ian Fennec struggle kind of against because they kind of surround them with those shields. But then the the Gamorian like guards that they've, they've spared show that they can have use because they mounted not one of the guards down, uh, one of the assassins down. And uh, once there's a gap, Boba and Fennec are able to take advantage and steal their weapons off them to use against them. You know, one minor nitpick that I've heard other people point out about this scene is uh, why didn't Boba just fly out that circle on his jetpack? <laughs> There must be a, a plot device reason he, he yeah, didn't sure. do that. Well, <laughs> oh, the writers forgot. Because he does use it, because when there's two, or there's three assassins that try and get away like, by jumping up the side of the buildings, and one of them gets taken out by Bo about he shoots his rocket out of his jetpack. So, like, so that part's working, but the other part of the jets bit of your jetpack is not working somehow. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he's too injured uh, in the fight. Also, he's not had much time to recover because Fennec had to kind of interrupt him when he's in his back to tank to give like, him to like you know the people that are here to pay tribute and everything. So the guards t- take him back to the palace while Fennec chases after these two these two guys and some really good like stunt working like in this chase. It's really well put together with them like diving across the rooftops and everything. Uh, I love how she was told to like you know bring them alive also because the white question who set them and she finds two of them so she realises ah, I probably only need one and just kicks another one off the roof <laughs> yeah <laughs> she's a she's a techno prisoner's kind of gal it's fun exchanged yeah it's the most so far we've really got to see of her like being kind of badass that we saw in Mando and I hope we get to see more of it as the series goes on yeah yeah definitely maybe her ways and Fett's ways might clash a little bit and then might get a mm-hmm. bit of tension between the two you, yeah. you never know yeah yeah uh, and then one of my favourite scenes to start off the second episode is when she brings him before Boba uh, to basically have him questioned and we're told that these like assassins they call it the Order of the Nightwind and uh, and they were, they were really trained not to like spell information they will not speak, they'd rather die and everything. And Fanny Pizza goes, oh, I've heard these people, they're overrated, you're paying for the name. <laughs> yeah. I thought, I, that was, I, thought was, yeah, I thought that was quite funny, actually. 
just all of the idea, like in the bounty hunting, like hired like assassin kind of feel, which seems to be a big one in the Star Wars universe. Like there are people who know everybody, and like I know so and so, he overcharges for his work, or so and so is there. Like uh, he's no as good. <laughs> Bit like when you go to the shop and you know name value things uh, are a lot more more expensive than own brand, and basically a lot of the time you are paying for the name rather than quality. Yeah, and then there are times where you buy the own brand thing and the own brand thing, and some depending on your taste, tends up ends up being better than the name brand thing. Well, yeah, I mean, a lot of the time, they're made, the the own brand things are actually made by the top brands. It's just in crappy looking packaging, so it costs less. Yeah, and try and persuade you to buy the the one actual branded packaging, which costs more. But you know. This is getting too political for a, <laughs> for a Star Wars podcast. <laughs> but yeah, we also got uh, a bit more of a flashback as well, didn't we, in episode one. Um, as you say, he gets um, taken by the, the sand people. Um, <laughs> they never seem to move their masks, which is quite quite strange. But yeah, uh, yeah they, they held him captive to begin with and... Uh, We've got this weird sort of like, like um, I don't know what you call it. Like, it's like a guard dog creature yeah. type thing, isn't it? I think it's called a mastiff. And this, like, I think we saw them before. I think they, when like uh, Mando and Cobb Vance came across the Tusken Raiders in uh, Mando season two, they had one. And then I think that was one of the mon- creatures that was like let loose in that big stadium fight. And you know, remember when they episode two and the layer of the three like, uh, creatures, yeah. the smallest one that attacks Padme. That's uh, that was one of those ones. But yeah, yeah. I, I, I do admire the CGI on this one. At no point when you see these masses does it look a bit ropey. No, no. They, obviously, they've got a great budget and uh, all the special effects are uh, pretty convincing. To be fair, but yeah, Mando manages to uh, sort through his sort of bonds and and. Um, Get loose, and yeah, the as you say, his uh, other captive sort of gives the game away for some bizarre reason. Yeah, maybe maybe worries that if he does what the captors say, or if he like spills the beans on him for trying to escape, that maybe they'll be fairer to him, and they maybe won't kill him. But uh, yeah, they're, they're quiet. We, I mean, we get to see like the sand people are. They're surprisingly tough. They're quite good fighters, aren't they? I mean, it takes a, couple, a few of them, but they uh, they they sort of take um, Baba Fett out again, don't they? Yeah. Well, yeah, I think he's probably still sufficiently mm. weakened from the Sarlacc pen. It's in this, like, warrior, one of their warriors to basically take him out with that same stick that we'd see Boba carrying around when, he, uh, when we first see him again in Mando. And we kind of learn how we end up getting that stick in these these two episodes, but he's easily kind of taken out. And uh, even though you don't really, you just hear like it's not in English, and you don't get subtitles when you hear the this uh, other prisoner speak. He's called a Rodian, but uh, apparently I've heard people say that Sam Whitworth voiced him, and Sam Whitworth is kind of known in the Star Wars world. He voiced the main character in the Star Wars Fourth Unleashed games, as well as a uh, voice in Darth Maul and Clone Wars and Rebels. Yeah, he's done. Uh, he's done quite a lot of work for for Star Wars over over the years, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, he, he gets put out. I don't know what the uh, 
digging for uh, water or some sort of, some sort of like it's like a fruit or something, some sort of ball thing in it that has water yeah. inside it, and they seem to disturb some big beastie thing, don't they? Yeah. Like, I have a, a website, Star Wars website, where I, look, or I find out the names of like planets or creatures or everything that I don't know the name of, so I can try and sound clever on this show. And even <laughs> when I looked up the name of the creature that attacks them in this bit of the episode, it even says unidentified lizard creature. So, even, <laughs> so it's the one time in Star Wars where they, you meet a new creature, a new character, and they haven't found the reason they give it a name. So it's very rare uh, in Star Wars because everything has a fucking name. I thought you were going to make me look stupid there by saying, actually, Carl, it's obviously called a, a such and such, but uh, but no, all right, no one seems to know what that one's called. Cool. So, but yeah, eventually, um, Eason is sort of chained. Um, Boba Fett's um, sort of strangles it to, to death and makes himself a bit of a hero amongst the, the Sand People. Yeah, yeah, the it's kind of a young like uh, reader that's kind of taking them out to the desert. To, like for I think what Boba reveals in the scene is that they're called black melons. They've got some sort of water or milk inside them, and they're buried kind of in the sand. And obviously, it would help if you're in a, a desert with two suns. You need something to help dehydrate. But when Boba finds one that's, he tries to take the water or the milk for himself because he also he's dehydrated. But uh, to basically punish him for it, the reader takes it off and just pours it away. To kind of be spiteful, and then you see that like, he redeems himself to the readers by killing that a creature after it kills the Rodian, which kind of come up and for him for spilling the beans on on Boba earlier on. And uh, when he gets back, the wee reader has its head and brings it back to them as a trophy and everything. So I'm assuming the wee reader is trying to take credit for killing it, but you see what looks like the chief of the the tribe of kind of Tuscan raiders kind of knows that Boba probably had something to do then offers on one of the melons and I even put in the last bit of my notes for episode one uh, Boba's acknowledged by the Boba's acknowledged by the tribal chief <laughs> brilliant <laughs> as soon as that happens like yes he's been acknowledged <laughs> oh, never even thought about that well done Scott <laughs> thank you thank you oh, any excuse to bring wrestling into it you know <laughs> <laughs> I meant to mention both these episodes by the way were written by John Favreau uh, and uh, Robert Rodriguez directed the first episode of the series, he's also executive producer on the show uh, and uh, Steph Green directed the second episode so just mentioned Robert Rodriguez apparently provides the voice for the mayor who we meet in the second episode alright cool so yeah he's He's, yeah, he had, um, didn't he direct uh, a Mandalorian episode as well, didn't he, uh, Robert? Yeah, he actually directed the episode. So. He directed the episode where he officially saw Boba, like not when we first saw him, like the start, mm. of, like when he first like spoke and confronted Mando to get his armor back. That episode, so I think that was kind of like they gave him that episode because he was going to be involved in the Boba like TV show. Yeah, I mean, not only have they got a lot of. Um, great talent in front of camera but they've got a lot of great talent behind the camera as well and behind the scenes writing directing and producing and all the other things that make a tv show work i mean they really are um you know throwing everything at these things mm-hmm. you know I, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw robert rodriguez direct a couple more episodes and i'd be interested to see who else they get because they did get quite a few like strong people like they got dave filoni 
Obviously, he's done a lot with Star Wars mm. doing Mando. They got like Bryce Dallas Howard did an episode. Uh, Deborah Chow is now doing the Obi Wan show. Did a couple of episodes of that. Yeah, take with TJ Payton Reed, who've done stuff with Marvel. So you know they've got an eye for talent with these Star Wars shows. Yeah, I imagine David Filoni's got his hands full with the Ahsoka series, but you never know. He might, he might pop up with a mm-hmm. with a, a script or a director for for one of these. Yeah, I think he's also credited in some sort of producing role, but I think probably because like all of these shows that they're doing now are starting to be within the same time frame, like Ahsoka, Mando, and Boba are kind of in the, the same period in Star Wars, whereas like also it'll be one set like way further back. Hmm. Yeah, that that's true. That's true. Mm. Uh, just thought I'd mention that because we'll get back to the mayor in a bit, but. Uh, when we go to episode two, it opens with, like I said, one of my favourite bits is when they, they bring that spy and the assassin before them and basically try and interrogate him. And basically says, like, oh, well, he won't speak to us, but uh, maybe he'll speak to the Rancor. And the guy yeah. has that look of fear. <laughs> and she runs up and he goes into that trap that, that Luke fell into in Return of the Jedi. And the doors start open. He starts panicking. He said, it was the mayor. The mayor sent me. Please get me out of here. But then it's not. So he doesn't know that the Rancor was killed in uh, in episode six, and so obviously nothing happens. And defense and goes, "It's empty, you fool." <laughs> yeah, I was I was wondering, like, did they get a new one, or is it just going to end up being empty? Yeah, because yeah, <laughs> despite what I thought when we did Bad Batch, apparently I've been well, I've been informed that Mitchie, the Rancor that they find and give to Bib Fortuna, is not the same Rancor we saw get killed in episode six. So. I'm just why I know, like, it's the biggest unsolved mystery and there's just ours. What's happened to Mucci? I don't know. We're going to have to find... We need a Mucci series now. <laughs> I know. <laughs> if, if Bad Bat Season 2, which I've been reliably informed is happening some point later this year, if that does not solve the mystery of what happened to Mucci, then I'm cancelling my Disney Plus scripture. I know I've threatened <laughs> before, but I'm very, very, very serious this time. This is for Mucci. Oh, uh, you're listening, Mr. Disney Plus... <laughs> well, being a Disney Plus thing uh, now, when basically said that she was she had a bit of a conundrum when she was setting up the Disney Plus profiles for her family. She said, "Like I've got my profile. I don't know whether to have a Mulan uh, cover photo or a Fennec Shand one." <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was, I thought was nice, but <laughs> they have this uh, fun moment where they go to. Uh, they see the mayor and he's got his assistant there who doesn't really bat an eyelid at the fact that you know this guy in Mandalorian armor this female assassin these two giant you know guards are behind him they've walked down he's like do you have an appointment? Yeah I'm expecting to have a but no I don't, I don't see your name down here and yeah Boba Fett just sort of barges his way past and he's like nope nope you can't just nope nope <laughs> and they bring the assassin and uh, and the mayor has like one of these people kill him because like oh these guys aren't allowed to operate in hut space and uh, so he, he offers them the, a reward for it and he says like that's where we do the thing that that's where that but where I said earlier like he said I'm not a bounty hunter and he goes well I've heard differently and uh, he goes well I'll take this as my tribute that you weren't uh, able to give me <laughs> and uh, he kind of gets some kind of some onimus onimus can't say onimus <laughs> like. Anonymously, uh, yeah, honestly uh, advises them that uh, 
you know, he said running a family is harder than bounty hunting. Really forewarning that the the twins were going to get involved, and in. think so. Now they're trying to investigate. You thinking, oh, the uh, these twins maybe they're the ones that are threats, and they're the ones that sent the uh, the Ben Hart. Even though the Ben Hart, the uh, the assassin said that no, the mayor sent me, which is probably why he was so quick to have one of his guys like shoot him so he didn't spill the beans on him, so he can still like try and deny it. Yeah, all the. All the mayor works directly for the for the twins, perhaps one of one of the other. But uh, yeah, after visiting the mayor, they go to like um, some sort of like club type thing, don't they? Yeah, so, yeah, it's kind of like a canteen. Thing. Yeah. yeah. To go back to sorry, just briefly the mayor thing because I do love kind of the criminal like political element that they've they've inserted into this show, but. Uh, there's a point where also Boba kind of tried to threaten him and try to basically say him like, if this was you, like, don't try that again. By saying to him that like, you know, the mayor only like only stays in power as long as the Daimo allows it. So basically saying that he has more power around Tatooine than the mayor does, uh, which I think then might be implying that like, if he was around when when Bib Fortuna and Jabba were around, then clearly had some sort of relationship with the Huts, which then I think may give further greens to what you're saying that he's trying to maybe help get him out. So that Hutz can get, and he can continue whatever relationship that he had with them. Yeah, um, prob- no doubt, probably um, he was sort of Jabba's puppet, and mm-hmm. and and so forth with with the twins. And uh, yeah, when as I say, we go back to the the cantina, and both that sort of telling the owner that. He's the new, what do we call him? Dimuse? Uh, Dymo. Dymo. Um, and he's in charge now. She sort of said something about, um, I'm not too sure about that or something. And then you start hearing the sort of drum beats, don't mm-hmm. you? And it all goes yeah. sort of hush, sort of falls through the, the cantina. And they sort of go outside and we see, yeah, the. the, the 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 hot twins on on their big litter um being brought forth and yeah they're sort of challenging Bubba Fett's sort of rule on Tween. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they have a pretty badass looking Wookiee with them as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Black Kirsten or something like that. It's very, very I think he was in featuring like some Star Wars comics, so he's been brought back in a canon and I'm glad he has because mm. uh, he said he looks pretty badass, so I'm, I'm hoping for some sort of, you know, showdown between him and uh, him and Boba Fett because I think it's implied that they were both bounty hunters together, uh, in the like the comics. So, uh, he's now basically the muscle for the for the huts. Yeah, it it, it looks it does look like there probably be a confrontation between the two, maybe uh, towards the end of the season. You you would imagine. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they're there. They're there, sort of talking um, to to Boba Fett um, about you know their their claim on on everything, and um, he sort of says something about this is you know this is my this is my rule now, and yeah, the 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 brother sort of says, uh, you know, I'm I'm a bit more patient than my sister. Mm-hmm. She thinks if we should kill you now. <laughs> yeah, he'd be still like, well, you probably should if you want to take this rule from me because, you know, mm. I killed Bib Fortuna, I took his throne, so if you want to take it from me, 
and you probably are going to have to kill me. So basically, he's, he's shown that he's not going to be intimidated by them. Yeah. Uh, I think in episode three, uh, which is probably out by the time you're listening to this, uh, I think this is where we're going to start to see more of what we uh, we saw in the trailers of you know him getting these other criminals together to try and form allies. That will be mutually beneficial to him because now this is where he's at the point where he's getting people challenging his authority. So you know he needs to start building relationships to people that can help benefit him if he wants to keep his position. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And uh, the host decided to back off for the time being, saying uh, blood isn't good for business. Yeah. Uh, and also Phoenix says that he may have to get permission before he can kill them, because you know, there was these like council of like huts back in the Clone Wars. Uh, I think a couple bunch of them got killed off by, by Darth Maul at one point when he was building his own like criminal-like empire, but like if the huts can have rule that one of the huts is a liability or something like that, then they will they will kill them. So he may have to go to some other huts to basically get permission to basically kill the twins because they're threatening his his rule. But one of the main like nip, one of the only real nitpicks of the this show, maybe I've heard from some people, is that they do think the flashbacks, especially the first two episodes, take up a lot of the time because like this is the first episode is like thirty around about thirty minutes to shy of that. And then you got like 45, 50 minutes, so it jumps up in the second episode. But then quite early on, uh, in the second episode, about 20 or so minutes in, he's in a bad time, it goes to a flashback. And I realised quite quickly after this, well, like, when he goes to get the speeders, I realised, they're not coming back, are they? This is, this is the rest of the episode now. <laughs> yeah, uh, it takes up like about half, half the episode, doesn't it? And like you say, it, it, it doesn't jump back to real time either. It's, it's quite, quite a strange way of doing it, really. Yeah, and I don't mind shows that do like, like have have like quite a few flashbacks because I was a fan of Arrow for eight years, mm. and also a big part of it is the main character was on an island for ages, and so every so often an episode you cut to a flashback of something that happened on the island, and you'd have a different year of the island each season to show what what he was doing while he was away and how he became the Green Arrow that you see at the start of the first season. So I don't mind that, but I would rather the get a cut back and forth a little bit more. But then again, also you you gotta wonder how many times can he pay a, take a trip to that bloody tank in each episode? So <laughs> that's kind of their vehicle to to get to the flashbacks because he, he says he's having these dreams again about his time in the desert with sand people and everything. Uh, but you know, not to say there wasn't some really good like action scenes in these like flashbacks, but just how much it took up the the time, especially in the second episode. So I'm hopeful that maybe cut down on them in the next couple of episodes and let the main story you know the current time period down of like him as a daimu and everything let that progress a bit more because it feels like that's moved along but very a much slower pace than the flashbacks have yeah i mean do we really need these flashbacks i mean we want to know how we got out of the start of that but um so, you know seeing him train with the the sand people and and all that is it Absolutely necessary, unless it unless it plays into stuff that is going to happen in uh, the real time story. Maybe he recruits the sand people to, <laughs> to 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 help him out or something. So it might make sense that way, I suppose. But yeah, uh, yeah but at the moment it does seem a bit sort of he- too heavily leaned on. Yeah, like, there is an argument to be made because there's one scene in here where he's talking to the bikes where. It's arguing to me that the way society could have ruled Tatooine 
as uh, as kind of inspired by his time with the with the Tuscan Raiders and how the lessons he seemingly learned when he was with them about respect and everything, and like where he lets the base go, but say like if anything further harm comes to these Raiders, then it'll be repaid. And so, because you see a crowd of a few different like criminal like gangs that he runs into, especially the the bikes and the guys that he stole mm. the speeders off of. It's like a, a case of like Jab has died and all these people are trying to take over. And he's over these five years decided, huh, maybe I should take over this spot, but I'm going to do it, you know, using these lessons that I've learned from my time with these, like, these sand people. Because in the first uh, Star Wars film, they basically taught, basically described as, like, these, like, you know, savages and everything. But so that episode where with Cobb Vant and Mando season two, and then here, you're kind of basically learning more about them. They're like, maybe they're just more misunderstood. Like, they feel threatened because a lot of people are coming onto what's by right their land. Yeah, yeah, it could well be. You know, they they give the impression they're savages, as you say, because they're they're not understood, and you can't really see uh, their faces and and whatnot. And uh, yeah, perhaps they're just a bit territorial and and whatnot. And we sort of see this sort of train thing, don't we? Sort of mm-hmm. shoot shooting at them as it passes through. And he promises that he'll, uh, you know, sort out this train problem and um, help him out. And, yeah, he goes to the the sort of, like, again, another, like, cantina, and he ends up stealing um, four or five of those bike thingies. Mm Mm-hmm. And yeah. straight away, the sand people sort of they want to sort of pull it up, pull it apart to pets, don't they? He goes, no, no, stop that! <laughs> I do also before the train came, like he's learning how to use a stick from that same mm. uh, same like guy that basically beat him up in the first episode, and he's basically telling him he's he's shouting at him in uh, in their kind of line. You understand? But then you you basically get it from context because then Bobby goes, "I am using, I am holding it correctly." <laughs> yeah. basically also giving them like pointers he's like no you don't do it that way you do it this way and this is how you hold it <laughs> so I was like he wasn't as proficient as he was in uh, when we see him pop up in Mando season 2 right away he had to had to learn had to have a few lessons before he could properly swing that around yeah had, had to go to the Sun People Dojo to <laughs> to learn how to wield the stick properly the place where he goes to when he beats up that kind of gang and like steals their their bikes off them. Apparently, that said Toshi Station, which is referenced in the very first Star Wars film. Ah, he's, like, right. Wants to go there because he like wants to go there, but his uncle said no. Clean up these droids and everything. Now, so he's like, them in his journey and everything. Apparently, they did film and there were just there were some scenes at Toshi Station with Luke and some of his friends from Tatooine to kind of let you know more about his life on there. But they ended up getting like all getting like cut out of the film. Yeah, yeah, I heard that as well. But mm-hmm. it does happen for for length and pacing that a lot of stuff in films gets uh, put on the cutting room floor. Yeah, well, I hear, when I think of Toshi Station, I think of like when he moans, he's uncle. Oh, I want to go to Toshi Station, and everything. When he goes, no, you got to, you know, do your chores, clean the drawers up. But when he delivers the line, but when he goes to Toshi Station, like it makes you think, wow, Mark Hamill is very lucky he locked into this role because, and at this point in his career, he was not a very good actor. <laughs> And that like just shows off. It shows off how inexperienced a young Mark Hamill was. Yeah, the the first film he was quite wooden, to be fair. But he <laughs> did he did get better as the the series went on. Yeah, yeah. So you get to also love the uh, the kind of almost training montage, if you want to call it that, 
I like the Raiders kind of showing mm. each other. Like one of them has to like learn how to jump from one spear to the other, and he keeps falling off. Uh, and then he's sitting with, he's driving with one uh, Tuscan behind him. And with some do I so see how fast the wheel goes? Somebody how fast the train's going, and the guy nods, and he speeds up, and they both go zoom, and it's flying across <laughs> the, the sand. But then they have to do this kind of like train robbery almost, because as the train passes, it shoots them because. As the people on the train later say, like, oh, we thought you were just like uncivilized raid. We thought we were we were protecting ourselves and everything, which some probably was just them talking out their arse, probably just trying to cover themselves. But the tra- the droid uh, driving the train eventually just says, ah, oh, fuck this, and then just leaves. But the action scenes of like them trying to get on the train reminded me of that scene in the second last episode of Mando season two, where Mando's on top of that truck, which can't mm. go too fast because the stuff inside will blow up. And so we try to fend them off. That's what the the fight on top of the train kind of reminded me of. Yeah, yeah, it does bring back memories of that. But it's uh, again, it's a well, it's a well shot and put together sequence. And mm. and as you say, yeah, they're saying there, no, it was uh, the, it's uh, they're sort of the same people are like in the way of the in their route, and mm. they're just sort of clearing their path was their excuse. And yeah, the same people are just like protecting their turf. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, but as you said, the, the pikes are probably talking out their asses, aren't they? Yeah, there's a wee like, engine on the top of it where they, they, the droid keeps like firing up and making the train go faster. And to the point where one of the pikes gets knocked towards it as it's firing up and basically just gets burned to death. But then eventually the droid like, hits, get, makes the thing go too fast to the point where the train's basically going to blow up. And so the droid basically just jumps out and just abandons the train <laughs> as, uh, as it looks like Boba and the readers are getting closer to him. Uh, I think it's implied that the, the this train wouldn't usually go to this area like the Dune Sea because it's very close to Rosala because it's very close to where Jabba is, is. So it was kind of implying that now that these crim- like criminal gangs are doing what they want now that Jabba's dead. But uh, yeah, we see these spikes. We obviously we've seen them before in the Bad Batch in animated form, and uh, they talk about space and everything they've got on board, which is yes. pretty much it's pretty <laughs> much guaranteed that I've said it before. It's it's Star Wars flying for drugs. You know, but Star Wars is also inherently for kids, so they don't want to say drugs. So they say space, but they mean drugs. It's basically a heroin. Yeah, yeah, heroin or cocaine, somewhere along those lines, isn't it? And they find, mm-hmm. they say there's no spice, and then um, one of the sand people find a box of something, and Baba's like, "Ooh, what's in here? Oh, look, <laughs> it's spice!" Like, are you going to like, are you going to kill us? But depends how you answer these questions. Are you carrying space? What spice? As in the space as in the case as in the space mines of Kessel. What does spice look like? And then they drop the crate and it falls out. Kinda of looks like that. So it's not <laughs> looking sorry. good for you. <laughs> and it basically says like you will if you wish to keep passing through here, you will not kill any readers and you will pay them a fee to continue like going through, you know, you can take that back back to your the rest of your syndicate and you know, me letting you leave with your lives is basically shown as a is a basically a token of goodwill. So obviously that, that shows kind of the leader of the kind of crane what he's hoping to be on Tatooine. But as we've seen in the main timeline, that uh, he's facing some big challenges to that. Yeah, but yeah, you sort of see the sort of almost like the the birth of his um, sort of political and criminal career right there, isn't it? That's, mm. As you say, yeah, well, you know, we'll spare your life and we'll let you carry on, but you're going to have to pay us a fee for coming through our territory. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's... Uh, 
yeah. sort of yeah part of what sort of the big suppose the beginnings of uh, his new career mm-hmm. yeah i think you know of it there too it's there's by right he says also there they grew up on this land and everything and basically the rears are being used as a placeholder for like native americans i think because like obviously there's mm. been a lot of comparisons between star wars and westerns and also back in the day of when star wars started they would just use the one dimensional like the indians would be used as bad guys but obviously people are more respectful nowadays of native americans so basically they're now humanizing the sand people a lot more because really as we said they're just defending what by right is their land yeah, yeah, definitely, and it, it's it's good storytelling in a way, mm-hmm. even though we have sort of uh, knocked the, um, the the overuse of the flashbacks. Do you think we might yeah. get a bit of a flashback um, on when he finds Fennec Shand and how he sort of I don't know rebuilds her or, or whatever he whatever he does to her? Because that's sort of all happened off screen in Mandalorian, didn't it? So that could be quite quite interesting if they, they go down that route. Yeah, because I think uh, it was nice to see this thing, like I said, it shows you know, how he developed it to the leader he wants to be here, so it fits into what's been going on in the first two episodes, but yeah, then you find maybe tie it into other things, maybe jump ahead in time a little bit in the flashbacks, show how he saved Fennec Shand, because how did he go from living with the Sand people to then being able to fix Fennec Shand from like certain death, and how did he get his ship back that we see in the uh, and flying and uh, and like Mandalorian when he first reappears, and uh, also he mentioned about Cobb Van. How did he find out where his armor was and everything? Mm. So there's a lot of details in that time that you could see. And hell, if you want to do it too, you could even use the flashback to show a bit of a young Boba Fett. And then some people wonder, like, oh, we're gonna get a flashback to young Boba, and then they can de-age to Manny Morrison to be to play Django Fett in the flashbacks. But I don't know. That would depend on what they try and do with that. I mean, yeah, you, you, you never know. They could just bump him in the armor to get around up into DA gym. But as yeah. like a, but as like a thanks, he's rewarded with some sort of like, um, uh, like some sort of weird insect thing, isn't he? That he thinks mm-hmm. he swallows by accident, but obviously he was meant to. <laughs> he's like, so, sorry about that, tricky little bugger. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so it doesn't really know how to say like when you get a gift that you weren't really expecting or you didn't really want, he's basically treating it like that. Yeah. Oh yes, I will. Yes, the lizard. I will. I will cherish this, and then it just dives up his nose, <laughs> and then it sets him on this little like they throw a bit. I think they throw a bit of spice in his face, which again, it's a drug because he goes on this weird hallucinogenic trip. Does doesn't uh, it now? Yeah. So now the toad is now a metaphor for acid as well. As that. But <laughs> he goes to the truck where he finds this tree in the middle of the desert where he's managed to find the wood that he'll make his stick from. And he's having these like, hallucinations of like, seeing his dad's ship fly away and you know, him falling into the salad pit. And maybe the idea of him not, maybe the images that he's seen is maybe show him like, what he's supposed to be and everything. And maybe he doesn't want to be like his father. Yeah. Um, definitely, and he ends up bringing this um, stick to the, to the tribal chief. I'm going to have to keep <laughs> calling him. I'm going to have to keep calling him that now. And uh, yeah, he yeah, gets shown how to to make his own sort of uh, weapon out of it, which is mm-hmm. I think quite cool to see, I suppose. Yeah, and then remember there these like droids when he got the Bata Tang in Episode One, which were kind of they helped dress him and put the armor on him, and then. 
that's kind of mirrored in the end episode too, where the these people in the Tuscan Raiders put these robes on him, which is the same robes they wore mm. in Mando, and then he gets the second end. It's kind of an eighth ending where him and all the other Tuscan Raiders doing this kind of ceremony, like dance with the uh, with the sticks uh, around the fire. So he's kind of been looks like he's kind of been accepted as as mm-hmm. one of them. Yeah, very much. Yeah. Kelly was like, these are like Native Americans. He's basically like Kevin Costner and dances with wolves. <laughs> dances with Boba. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, that's the two both episodes. So uh, any other overall thoughts before we go into our ratings? Um no, not no more no more sort of thoughts to add uh, up to my ratings really, which I think I'd give but I think I give both episodes. Um, I'll probably give them both about a seven, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I think it was a. I think it was a solid opener. That sort of as I say, addressed the um, escape from the Sarlacc and uh, how he ended up without his armor and, and whatnot, and sort of set the stage for um, where the series is going with him, sort of trying to build or hold on to his criminal empire and it's it is all well done but doesn't what they're not quite sort of on the same level as the mandalorian for me just yet anyway yeah yeah i think even the mandalorian had some great action it took a couple of episodes to probably get good because like episode two of mando he's stuck fighting this like giant horned thing in mm. order to get something back from the Jawas who fucked up his ship, so it wasn't exactly the most gripping te- of television at, that, at the time, so yeah, I think uh, it will get better as the season goes on, and definitely, like, as we get closer to the finale, because I think it was only I think it was between six and eight episodes, so I don't know how many episodes we're going to get here, but yeah, I think a seven for episode two, because the flashback do seem to go on a bit longer, too long, but purely for like what it helps set up and also the flashbacks of how you get out of the Sarlacc pit, I think I'll go up, up just by 1.8 for, for episode 1, but because obviously it was a bit shorter and even then there were quite a few flashbacks in that episode I can't take it any like higher you know, the story goes on a bit more then I think I'll be, I'll maybe hopefully find the episode that gets me closer to a 9, maybe a 10, but uh, I'm not quite there yet yeah, and I'm also because we had Sasha Banks uh, in Mandalorian. I'm expecting Bailey to show up in Boba <laughs> Fat. So that'll that'll be my my uh, reason for cancelling if Bailey doesn't show up. I can you just imagine just Boba sitting on his throne in Jabba's palace, and then just hear "Ding dong, hello," yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just appears <laughs> He's just sitting there listening to your talk like. Uh, it's times like this, I wish I still had a rancor. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, I doubt, we'll, I doubt we'll get any of that. But uh, what we do have here at Rogue Opinions is a, a large back catalogue of other podcasts, especially if past episodes of the easy time about Mando, talking about Bad Batch, other stuff through Star Wars or Marvel, and things like that. You can hear us rank various things in the Star Wars universe medium, whether it be TV or film. Who knows when both it ends, where that would rank among our rankings, but well, I'd take give that some thought, uh, as well as all the other things we've got going on here at Rogue Opinions, but girl, what have you got to uh, start off the new year? How are you going to start off the new year right here at Rogue Opinions? Yeah, yeah, we've got 
we started off. I think my my first official part of the year was Guns and Devils with with Liam, where you could listen to us bemoan the failings of Arsenal and Manchester United. So uh, you know you can join us on that and uh, our year end awards as well, where we award um, the best play of the year, biggest disappointment of the year, and another such like things. Um, there's also the Buffy pod that I've started doing with uh, Sam Carmichael. Hopefully there'll be another episode of that this month. So uh, keep your uh, eyes and ears peeled for for more of that. Very good, very good. Uh, in Twain, else you can get Carl on Twitter at Carl's underscore fire 80 and Rugger Pains on Twitter and Instagram at Rogan underscore Pains. You can find me at Scott McLeod nineteen ninety six. Uh, on the feed, you can find uh, an episode of Scott and Paul's Round Podcast, as well as that being on its own feed as well. Uh, and you find us at SP Rambling. Uh, there's an episode that was recorded early in December, but didn't get a chance to upload until recently, where we drunkenly, in the middle of a long pre-recording session, uh, we drunkenly review this Tuesday in Texas, an often forgotten pay-per-view from 1991. And uh, I listened back to a rant I had very drunkenly about Hulk Hogan in the main event. Even I listening back sober when we were when editing it, it was shot like he's even I was like, Oh Jesus, mate, come on, do you know that? So yeah, you want to go and check out how I just let loose all over Hulk Hogan. How many <laughs> F bombs do I drop in a single you know, a single diatribe? Well you can help keep counting if you want. But if you if you take a drink every time I say fuck you may get as drunk as I was when I was having that rant. <laughs> but uh, a lot of the stuff that you heard in December and that episode there. Uh, I mean, Paul was a lot of that was pre-recorded. So me and him are meeting later this week to record our first official episode together of 2022. We're gonna have a bit of a catch up, a bit of a chat, uh, and later in the month, you can look forward to reviews of the Royal Rumble 1982 from us and some impact-related content as January rolls on. Uh, here at Rogue Pains, I've got not got much else on. I do, I did pre-record an episode of uh, No Rogue Spy with Quacky Radia VSSR. who wanted to respond to his comments made about him on a previous No Rogues Bar with guest Daniel Campbell. So when I get the time to edit that, that'll be uploaded. Uh, quite a very interesting person. He's a big part of his sorry in the editing production side of it. He's also a, a local ring announcer in the Scottish indie scene. And I ask him some questions about that. So if you're interested in that sort of thing, that'll be coming out soon. But at the minute, it's fairly quiet on the pod front. But in terms of video content, if you're interested in that, uh, on his YouTube channel has been recorded this week. You may come out maybe next week at some point. Uh, quiz Showdown 8x8, it's our fourth annual Rumble quiz uh, for USSR. And I've managed to convince Nathan Greenaway of Rogue Opinions to fill, we were one short, and I managed to convince Nathan to, convince, to, to fill the final spot. Uh, a low score in each round gets eliminated, but doesn't kick into the second round. So Nathan will be on for at least two rounds. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go, if you want to see me and Nathan on video together, talking about how much people like each other and testing how much wrestling and the Royal Rumble knowledge that Nathan somehow managed to retain uh, in that head I managed not very much uh, then tune in to whenever that goes out on our YouTube channel yeah make sure should be uh, a good laugh and yeah, yeah. especially Nathan. if Nathan manages to win <laughs> ah you're funny girl. you're a funny girl, you're funny <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, Nathan was complaining that he and I don't do enough in terms of content together. So, you know, here's his chance. 
Well, <laughs> not maybe not what he really was thinking, but you know, I think me and him are trying to get together to do some sort of tournament at some point. Uh, we'll have more details on that soon. Ah, exciting stuff. Exciting stuff indeed. So you know, if it's a new year, but we've not slowed down on the content here at Rogue Opinions, have we? We haven't. We're um, flying along like a sun train. <laughs> we have, we have. And we're still proving that podding is not easy, not even in 2022. And I'm going to say this because we're back talking about Mandal- who wears Mandalorian armor, Mandalorian father. Because we know that when it comes to saving Tusken Raiders and wandering in the middle of the, the Tatooine desert, we know that this is indeed the way. Goodbye, everyone. (laughs) Bye.